The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome to the weekend, my friends. Indeed, it is Saturday night, show about money. Uh, Wolfgang Klein here, portfolio manager, Jack Hartle, producer, portfolio manager as well. Uh, Jed Dorsheimer, uh, privileged to have him on the show today. Uh, sustainability, forward thinking, electric vehicles, uh, alternative power, backup power, hydrogen. Jed covers it all. Um, as a matter of fact, he used to advise the Obama administration on its energy policy. Man's got a big brain. Uh, Kathleen, my bride and best friend and wife always loves uh, when Jed comes on the show because she learns so much. I'm sure you will too. Uh, turn it up, uh, grab yourself a bevy, and uh, let's talk money with Jed Dorchheimer. Uh, Jed, thank you for joining us and welcome back to the show. We're thinking about transportation and here in Canada, the big story is of truckers blockading Ottawa. Um, so we got ourselves a little bit of gridlock and we're noticing it on the uh, store shelves. Not really, you know, part of your ballywick, but just a, a transportation issue nonetheless. And, and you know, supply disruptions, uh, can't get product into market. That seems to be every uh, company's uh, excuse for when they miss on earnings uh, right here, right now. But, uh, you know, this COVID thing is going to work its way through. Uh, I know one of the big banks on Bay Street is looking at getting back to a full office very, very soon. And, uh, you know, back to normal will come. Um, and along that continuum, of course, is the electrification of society and uh, being a little bit more carbon friendly or carbon neutral uh, is, is really part of your, your game plan. Uh, so uh, why don't we start with, uh, again, some alternative power speak. Uh, and again, I don't know if you cover Ballard Power, but it was, a, of course, a darling uh, on Bay Street, uh, hot, cold, hot, cold several times. And I remember the name being very, very hot back in the 90s, I guess. Uh, with this hydrogen fuel cell technology. Why don't we start with that? Where does that sit on, on the future of electrification and alternative power sources? Sure. Um, if you wouldn't mind, maybe I could just take a couple steps back. Uh, in, and I think it's useful maybe for the audience to, uh, to understand our positioning on all of these things comes back to what I will call a first principle approach. It is my opinion and view, and I think I can prove this out rather eloquently, that um, energy and understanding energy that's governed by certain laws that have never been broken becomes a bedrock from which all else is built off of, including our economy. And so, you know, I would say when, and I would argue that sustainability um, which if we look at the Latin root of the word means to cradle or support, I'll add in life there. Um, so some self-adapting complex system requires a net energy. So in uh, a return that's greater than the input or growth won't occur. The economy is just a way for us to transfer energy. Give a monkey a banana or a dollar. I guarantee you he'll choose the banana. 
because the dollar <laughs> is worth nothing, right? We've created this construct that we call the economy in order to to sort of move energy and 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 understanding the world from that context in my opinion is much more important than a net zero or decarbonization it's not that those aren't important but if you get the energy side right all else falls into place and i think what i'm proving is that um looking from an alpha or stock perspective um that too falls into place so input versus output is what you're referring to, Jed. Input versus output. And if we understand the second law of thermodynamics, this little known term called entropy, um, it means that your output can never be greater than your input. It's an incredibly important point here. Hmm. It means that you can never have a perpetual motion machine. You can never have something that is going to have an output far greater than the input. So if we look at the transition of the energy, we have to understand those flows, and then we can understand efficiency in the context of, of the transition of the flow of energy. So, Jed, what does this all mean to Elon Musk and the electrification of vehicles in society? Well, the reason I'm so bullish on electric vehicles is because, in at first glance, my by the way, my initial take on EVs was negative because I looked at all the embodied energy that was actually going into the creation of a battery. Mm-hmm. I said, wow, that's, that's not good. Even though we got a 3x bump in the thermodynamic efficiency compared to an internal combustible engine. What I, I now see, though, is that the two orders of magnitude reduction of the movable and wearable parts, most of which are, you know, are manufactured overseas in China and then transported all over the world. The, when we look at both the embodied energy, the efficiency increase, and the life cycle, my argument is an EV is far superior to an internal combustible engine. And so from that context, if we're delivering the same value from going from A to B, and I think that an EV actually gives a better experience, but if we just say, okay, we're going to go A to B, simple transportation, um, in the use of that model, if your uh, embodied and used energy is less and you deliver that product, then your cost basis will be, will be lower. And therefore, the optionality is to either have a higher margin to return to shareholders or to get to a lower price point and open up new markets um, that are otherwise underserved. Well, the price point really was what it was all about to consumers. And uh, Elon Musk demonstrated that they can profitably and competitively bring a car to market, and kudos to him on that front. Uh, but again, where do we go from here, Jet? Meaning what? I mean, we can go in a lot of different directions. No, in terms they- of the in terms of uh, electrification, like what is going to be the de facto um, uh, parameters used on a go forward basis? Again, we we go a number of names that you cover uh, that cover energy from a different point of view. Uh, Wolf speed. 
For as I mentioned, um, a Ballard Power, I guess, plug would be sort of in the similar category, hydrogen fuel cell type technology, uh, or, you know, the, just the old basic grid as we know it with uh, uh, hydroelectric uh, and, and, and nuclear supporting the, uh, the grid. So all of that's going to change. Under the, I mean, I, I, I believe that climate change is here to stay and we will, it, it will be something that we never get away from. Like, for, quite frankly, the climate is always changing. But in terms of the warming, I think that you see, uh, you're always going to see um, uh, misunderstood policies that will either, in uh, conflicts that will arise over the, the, uh, the misunderstanding around energy, energetic systems. If we look at um, the need to climb and increase efficiency, um, that's where electrification will, uh, will play a, a growing role in our opinion. And part of that's the finite resources that we have. How do you move to higher uh, energetic systems on the generation side? How do, we, how do we distribute that energy more efficiently? And how do we use that energy more efficiently? And I think those are going to be basic human nature, societal issues that we deal with. And, and so EVs we talked about, that would be on the use model making EVs more efficient and uh, how we, we transmit and distribute that energy. That's where wool speed and the role of silicon carbide versus silicon and moving to higher voltage to preserve those electrons. And then you're going to have renewables. How will those fit? And then you mentioned nuclear. Now, I don't cover any nuclear names, but I do have an opinion on nuclear in general, which is you have to have that. And, you know, I reported to Ernie Moniz, um, uh, when you mentioned uh, uh, the work I did on U.S. energy policy, you need more optionality, not less. And so we need to be thinking through from a baseload perspective, if we want to decarbonize, do, where does nuclear play a role and where does nat gas play a role? And if we, uh, uh, how do we, because progress is not going from a one to a ten. We all know this when we start fad diets and then you try, you know, you go too, too far, you, you fail at it, right? It breaks. Um, so progress, in my opinion, is going from if we're at a two, how do we get to a four? And, and, and that is a meaningful improvement in terms of raising the bar. Well, yeah, in, in, indeed it is. You know, it, you mentioned uh, how the planet is constantly changing. And on the Discovery Network, I, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this, uh, I, I was watching a documentary on uh, sinkholes um, being caused by the melting permafrost and former craters, uh, I guess from asteroids, um, now are, are finding themselves that they're sinking. Uh, and uh, water is going into the sinkhole and then methane is percolating out of mother nature so the planes can fly over siberia and and alaska they'll see these pools and they'll see the the water percolating it's methane and then eventually the methane explodes um <laughs> so there, there's you know the newton's law remains uh you, you cannot create or destroy energy you can only transfer it uh look sci-fi radio show about money my brain's being stretched jed dorsheimer uh one of our key analysts sustainability uh he covers the like of tesla generac 
wolf speed, plug power, and the likes. Brilliant, brilliant discussions. It's about the next 10 years and 20 years. It's about the planet. It's about ESG. It's about being more efficient and doing a better job using power. Uh, it's science. It's math. It's efficiency. It's a whole lot of things all put in one. Uh, quick break. Get right back to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. So good. Show about money. Hi Fi Radio. 640 in Toronto each and every Saturday night. Jack Hartle, partner, portfolio manager, partner in your wealth creation success. Any questions, you can visit us, wolfgangkline.com, thewolfonbaystreet.com. Send us a note answering any questions that you have. Jed Dorsheimer, Managing Director, Sustainability. He's an analyst with Canaccord. Uh, working in the Boston offices that we have. I, I, uh, I do hope uh, and I do believe we're going to be having our annual growth conference again in person uh, late this summer, Jed. Uh, are you hearing any word on that? Because that is such a highly regarded... Yeah, that is yeah, th- an in-person event. Uh, I cannot wait. No, I can't wait. I'll be, I'll be able to see you again and uh, get some great ideas. I, you know, and, and what amazes me at that event is uh, Mr. Peter Lynch, each and every year, comes to our event to hear guys like you speak because he's always looking for the next great idea because he is Mr. One Up on Wall Street. Great book, by the way, if you haven't read it. One Up on Wall Street, Peter Lynch. Get ideas from your children. Uh, yes, indeed. Forward-looking uh, individuals that they are. Um, Generac, uh, pretty simple company. Backup generators. Um, lots of uh, tentacles, uh, irons in the fire. Um, a lot of them in my neighborhood as well. Stock's been faltering. I will say, Jed, I, I did a good thing. I donated uh, each and every year I sleep on the streets of Toronto for Covenant House. And rather than donating cash, uh, which is good, I donated appreciative, appreciated stock. Because uh, in doing so, I don't have to sell the stock and pay capital gain. I get the full tax benefit and the charity gets the full market value from the stock. So I, I peeled off some Generac because I, I had such a great trade on that. I think, Jed, I think it was in at $80. I uh, got the idea at the growth conference when the company presented and you were there. Uh, bought the stock at 80. I sold it at Christmas at, I think, four and a quarter. Uh, just peeled back some, a little position, gave it to Covenant House. Uh, so g- good for them. Stock's 280. Um, boy, has it ever been hammered. Um, did, did we flood the engine? Uh, no oil left in the machine? Did, did she seize up? What's going on with my Generac? I'm still very long the position. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything's really changed in ter- other than the stock. Um, but, you know, our position on Generac is that the number of Six Sigma events that are going to occur are only going to increase. And by the way, if anyone's been through a blizzard, a hurricane, or a tornado, a wildfire, it only takes one of those and, um, you know, having your wife yell at you for, for not having power until you end up with a generator. And so, uh, and I certainly uh, have one. So the more events 
um, that you uh, that you have um, were less than five percent penetrated in terms of homes that have generators. Now, our suspicion and, and our position actually is that when we look at the the use model um, of the generators that you're buying, so that you can have that resiliency and make sure that you're never without uh, power. Um, the, your, the use model is even worse than driving a car, which is about 5% of the time. It's less than that. So you're, you're looking at using these, these uh, engines less than 2% of the time. Now, Generax made a series of acquisitions, and they have, by our estimates, about 20 gigawatts of installed capacity that's out there with about half of that able to remotely turn on. And our view is that that is, we don't know exactly how much that is worth, but it's worth something more than zero. So when, when utilities look at the process of having to go through a rate case and having to add capacity, um, which is relatively inefficient capacity, because you're basically adding to the lowest common denominator for, to make sure that you don't have a shutdown of that grid, and when we look at the capacity that's already out there and the ability to, like, much like a solar, so if you have solar on your roof, when you're not using those electrons, you're selling that back to the utility. Um, right now, with, with backup generators, you don't have that. And it's our feeling that that is going to be coming, uh, energy as a service, if you will, and that investors really aren't looking at that at all in terms of uh, value. Um, and that uh, that's going to be worth uh, uh, something as, as we continue on this journey with, uh, with Generac. But wait, the stock has almost been cut in half. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was trading over 500 bucks. Stock's 280 right here. Uh, that's a huge haircut. Uh, why was the market so nasty to the name? I mean, I think in general, any of the um, market leaders or disruptors, which... Uh, Coming through 21, you saw premiums because you looked at, you know, how do you value uh, a company that's, that's uh, disrupting or changing uh, a sector? And you saw valuations uh, creep up. And is the risk on, uh, the risk off trade, um, which our macro strategist Tony Dwyer has talked about, is you've seen that come off, you've seen multiple compression. Um, so you really haven't seen much of a change in terms of business fun- fundamentals. What you've seen is a willingness uh, in terms of what investors are willing to pay for those fundamentals change. That's a hard concept. I agree with you, that concept. And that A lot of that's going on right now. And again, I, I want to share and share the concept with the listener, if you don't mind, Jed. And I hope I didn't interject sure. too abruptly. I apologize if I did. But... but I'm looking at Generac's uh, gross revenue. Uh, in, in, in 2018, uh, it generated $2 billion in revenue. 2019, $2.2 billion in revenue. 2020, two point, almost $2.5 billion. Uh, Jed's got it modeled out for 21. I'm sure at a slightly higher number and 22 higher yet. Uh, correct, Jed? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and so my point is so the yeah, sales have been rising cool. steadily. The, st- the sales are rising steadily for the company. Uh, earnings or cash flow has risen steadily over the last five years. But the market price, perhaps it got too far ahead of itself, and now it's correcting. But it, it, very aggressively, so the business is stable and growing. But what the market assigns as a price point for the company is really all over the map. So as an investor, how do you deal with that 
is I think the, the, the question, and I think the best answer to you is you just got to nibble away at these things and sort of tuck them away and think out longer term. So if I may throw at you, Jed, in five years, do you think Generac is worth more money than it is trading at today? Yes. And so just to give you some numbers, so for 21, we're at 3.7 billion, 22, wow. 4.5 billion, uh, 24. Four, five point nine. So call it six billion. Basically, is what you round up to. Wow. Um, and all of the conceivable metrics are actually improving in terms of profitability, cash flow. So the fundamentals are materially getting better for the company, not worse. But what you've had, secular rotation, and a risk off um, that, that creates, in our opinion, buying opportunities. So nothing's changed from our perspective in terms of. Uh, how we see uh, Generac. Uh, Jack, you want to pipe in here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we talked about this in the, the show last week, actually, and it's really company fundamentals, which are the most important thing for the long-term returns versus investor sentiment. And you really don't know how investors are going to look at the market and price the market. It's just something that's very unpredictable. And it's really just the multiple that they assign on those numbers that uh, that we're talking about, whether it's you know price to sales, price to earnings, price to cash flow, amount of debt that a company has. If a company has strong fundamentals over the longer term, you would expect you know investors to be confident that they'll be able to um, have those returns, those longer term consistent returns, and they'll pay a higher multiple for them. But in the short term, uh, it's volatile, and it's a lot more volatile than actually the company's fundamentals. So again, from an investor's point of view, again, friends at home, uh, I think what you have to take from all of this is the short-term noise is very erratic, but you are buying a business. And over time, the two will converge, come together. In other words, what the company's worth versus what the company does. But in the short term, there's a disconnect. So, so fret not if you buy a quality business and you see the share price fall. Again, the market just has to adjust price to what the company is, is, is worth here and now. But in the long term, you will see it normalized. Just take a look at longer term charts. They tend to trade in and around trend line. But shorter term charts trade well above and well below trend line. Again, I look at a stock today. Uh, again, it's Thursday. Uh, we're recording the show. Facebook down 25 percent. Uh, has things have things really changed in 24 hours for Facebook? I, I think not. Uh, obviously, there's some issues around privacy and around their targetability, target marketing. Uh, they've been restricted, handcuffed a little bit, but 25% overnight doesn't make sense. Uh, you, you, so you got to stand back every now and then and say, is this an opportunity? But certainly, is it a time to panic? Probably not if it's a quality business. Um, Jed, within your space, what's catching your attention right now? What, what do you think is most investable? Well, you brought up one with uh, Generac. I like the EV space. Um, again, so in just coming back, I, I would say that if a company is delivering delivering greater um, return on the energy, um, then automatically the uh, economic returns will, over the long term, be greater. And so when I look at that, I, I say that, you know, resilience is a trend that's here to stay. You're not going to see that abate or go down. In fact, I think you're going to see uh, you're going to see the number of events that undermine resiliency actually increase, which means that the value of what uh, Generax delivering is greater. Similarly, on Tesla, we like Tesla because the, on the EV side, 
you're increasing the value of transportation by moving to EV away from ICE or uh, diesel. And then uh, Wolfspeed we like a lot uh, because within the EV, they're making the electrons in the battery flow with less resistivity and having less electrical impedance in the vehicle. So all that uh, tech speak is they make the vehicle more efficient. Um, and we like uh, that name for that reason too. Well, I look at Tesla, the stock's down 25% from its peak, uh, you know, right here at Trendline trading at the 200 day moving average. Um, tends to be a good place to buy names. Um, so I guess the name I'm actually going to spend some more time with. Um, Jed Dorsheimer, uh, Sustainability Managing Director, Analyst with Canaccord Genuity. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the science, uh, the passion, uh, and the exciting technology that is in front of us. Uh, the world is a changing place, and it's changing for the better. Uh, it's all about good technology. I appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts with us, Jed. I want to wish you a great weekend. We'll speak to you with you very, very soon. I'm uh, going to take a quick break, get right back to Hi-Fi Radio, show about money on AM 640 in Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, my friends, about money. It is Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto, each and every Saturday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Moi aussi, along with my portfolio manager partner, Mr. Jack Hartle. Uh, I think you may be aware, and if not, I'll share with you. A passion of mine is food. I love food. Uh, I like good food. Um, and so I learned how to cook. I've always been interested in cooking, and I actually taken a number of courses at George Brown College. And I had a beautiful teacher at George Brown uh, in the uh, continuing education program. Um, Bashir uh, was his name. Uh, what an amazing chef! He worked all over the world. Very passionate about food. And he, uh, you know, in speaking with him about why he was so passionate about food, he was highly adamant uh, that food is a human right. Um, and, and, you know, the, the food that we eat, my friends, it is, it is political, uh, beyond belief. It in fact gets to be violent. If you look at the Mexican participation in, um, what are those green things, Jack, that uh, people make avocados, right? The avocado, avocado business, yeah. very corrupt avocado business coming out of Mexico. Very, very corrupt. Uh, food is a human right. The world produces plenty of food. Uh, yet many of us have a little bit too much and many people have None. It's very sad. Uh, but uh, the world is changing uh, and we are being empowered. Uh, came across a very interesting individual, uh, Janice Bartley, uh, part of Black History Month. Uh, she's going to talk to us about her company uh, called Foodpreneur. Foodpreneur, like entrepreneur, Foodpreneur Lab. Uh, it's all part of uh, food as a human right. And, uh, well, uh, Janice, please tell us about your, your, your vision, your history uh, of your company um, and, and, and uh, what you're trying to accomplish and why it matters. Well, thank, thank you for having me. And uh, so we created uh, Foodpreneur Lab as a nonprofit organization. And 
We have a fierce mandate to deliver gender and racial equality in the food ecosystem. And we really focus that in terms of supporting the underserved food entrepreneurs that want access and entry to launch and scale their food products. So just like you, they have a passion of food and food for us is community. It's history. It's generational. We have all these recipes and um, we want to compete in that market. So it really speaks to your introduction earlier where you said, uh, Chef Bashir said, food is a right. We want to participate in that as well as our right. And that's how Foodpreneur started. So again, uh, we're, 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 we're having this discussion with you today uh, because of Black History Month. Uh, share with us then, uh, if, if I may, uh, your, your, your ties to the Black community. So I am of Jamaican descent, and I have spent a lot of time in the hospitality and training sector working with youth and empowering them to, you know, improve their skills, their knowledge. And so this is just another transition coming into the Black community because we have a responsibility to to contribute in terms of giving back the skill sets that we acquire to 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 raise the excellence that we have within our own communities. And this is done through such projects and programs like the Black Entrepreneurship, the Black Entrepreneurship uh, Program, which supports Black entrepreneurs in the ecosystem across all sectors. But this specific project speaks to food. Well, you know what's incredible about Canada uh, and how this, in Toronto specifically, how the city has changed in that it has become the most um, multicultural city in the world. And, and, and you can just notice that today, thank goodness, when you, when you walk through a grocery store and, and you just see the variety of ingredients available to us today. I took a Thai cooking course, course at uh, George Brown. And again, the, the, the funky ingredients that go into Thai food, ingredients I've never heard of before, are available in this beautiful city of ours, Toronto. Um, and again, the spices, the seasonings, the heritage. Um, and, and the reason... You, you have your recipes is because of where you are from and what's around you to allow you sustenance. In other words, if you live near the sea, you will tend to eat more seafood. Yes. If you yes. live inland, you will eat more livestock and, and, right. and have a gregarian, agrarian type society, which is very fascinating. And, and you know, who settled your country will, will affect your food. Uh, who invaded your country will affect your food, yes. your diets. And, and, and again, you see that in America, Again, how, how the black slaves brought their food with them and planted their yes. food in America, yes. which is now a fa- so it's 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 colorful, it's history, it's dark, um, it's informative, and well, um, food is beautiful. So so let 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 it continue to be a beautiful, sharing, peaceful experience. And and to speak of the history is, I think, a beautiful thing. Um, share with us, if you may, Janice. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about food um, as a human right. Uh, Foodpreneur Lab Executive Director uh, Janice. Bartley has joined us. It's her business. It's a nonprofit uh, uh, organization to help uh, entrepreneurs. I guess is it specifically um, a black food entrepreneurs that you're that you're focusing your business on? Under underserved and underrepresented communities. So BIPOC, you know, um, and also this is not just even limited to um, individuals that don't fall under the BIPOC definition. This 
experience affects everybody that's trying to get into food. But this particular project and our focus is to help underserved communities who have never had the opportunity to to partake in, in this environment. Well, the food business is a very, very difficult business. Uh, I know that because I've worked in it d- indirectly and mm. I'm, I'm well aware of the industry, but it works on very, very lean margins and it's dominated by big players. So trying to get product on shelf can cost you a fortune and be frustrating beyond belief. Uh, trying to manufacture a product and, and, and take it through the distribution channel even harder. Um, so share with us, how do you, how does Foodpreneur Lab bring food to market? What specifically do you do and what, have, what success stories can you share with us? So we focus on uh, one-on-one uh, time through our, our, our advisor-led pathways. And it really has a strong focus on product development But more importantly, we help the participants set up the foundational aspects of creating a food business. And the the long-term goal is to create sustainability. It's not just, oh, yeah, here we have a food product and off you go. So we focus a lot of attention by connecting them with advisors that meet them where they are at. And that is part of the lived experience within the black community. And so we have to address that. And so we are able to offer them real-time solutions to troubleshoot and meet them exactly with whatever issues they're dealing with. And that is a different approach versus um, the other style incubators, accelerators that are being delivered there. And that was very specific because that's important. Uh, You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio. 640 Toronto. Uh, I'm Wolfgang Klein. Show about money each and every Saturday night. We're going to take a quick break, get right back to uh, Janice Bartley. We're talking about food as a human right. Uh, she's the executive director with Foodpreneur Lab. Uh, if you have a food idea and you're underprivileged community, uh, you may want to check her out and give you some guidance. Stay tuned. More show right after this. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. show about money uh janice bartley's joined us she's uh the executive director with foodpreneur lab a uh, very very interesting uh, organization um janice helps underprivileged individuals bring food companies to fruition uh janice so share with us some of your success stories uh some brands or businesses that uh, uh perhaps uh, we're all familiar with that you have uh, fostered and, and, and guided uh through your uh executive directorship uh, at Foodpreneur Lab? So food, Foodpreneur Lab has assisted behind the scenes. Some of the products that you will see are like Yachty's, or, uh, which is a hot pepper sauce, and she does this amazing red pepper jelly. Um, we've helped Robertson Sauces. They're fruit-based, a hot, hot sauce that's fruit-based, which is um, a bit different than what we're usually accustomed to. Um, Ruby Roselle, which is, which focuses on um, a health drink. And, and so 
in how we measure our success is you can always get a product on on the shelf. Where the success behind that happens is how you provide the knowledge to create that pathway to get it on the shelf, and and that is where that is where our value comes in. And so it is taking the time to sit with with the food owner and map out and help them navigate um, what that looks like. Because the food ecosystem is complex. It is not easy. It's layered with regulation, you know, from Ag Canada all the way down to CFIA. Then CFIA, we go to provincially and in in the province, and we have to deal with Toronto Public Health. And so this is not an easy process. And also, it's expensive. And so this is where our value comes in. Because when the product gets to the shelf, what that demonstrates is that we've successfully helped navigate the entrepreneur um, in that space to launch not only that product, but to launch other products as well. Yeah, no, I can see that. It, it, it is complicated. Uh, and again, I learned about that at George Brown, where they actually have a, um, a food science lab. Uh, yes. So can, can you speak to that about actually testing the ingredients, testing the product, what it needs to be tested for, you know, shelf life? And, and how do they come up with the expiration dates? So, uh, well, every, every food product <laughs> has a shelf life, okay? So fresh fruit, of course, is shorter. So if you have a food idea and you are saying, okay, I want it to be um, without preservatives, all natural, then your shelf life is going to be shorter because um, it it will probably have a shelf life of three to five days. But then if you're going to have something more like a sauce, then you're going to have to start dabbling in preservatives, additives, uh, emulsifiers, thickeners, thinners. And so that's where the testing comes in. So the testing comes in and it looks for, let's say, water level activity. What does that mean? It's <laughs> when you see a product and you see the water settling up at the top, that's what's measured. And then we, when, then we think about, um, okay, well, is the taste going to remain the same from day one to day 90? And if not, how do we ensure that? So maybe we have to add something. Is the color going to change? Maybe we have to add some food coloring. And so the more natural you want a food product to remain in its authentic state is the shorter the shelf life. But I have to say with innovation, we're getting better at that now. So we're having additives that are more natural ingredients um, that help either, you know, in color, in taste, um, in texture. And so this is where the growth and innovation has happened. So this is why the testing is so important and to ensure more importantly, that the food is also safe. And you, you, you guide and direct uh, entrepreneurs uh, who are creating product, uh, perhaps with grandmother's recipe, you're helping them uh, navigate through that testing maze. Absolutely. So we help them in recipe development, which is every ingredient. And then we put it together because we have to figure out, okay, what are the ingredients? What are the flavor? What are, what are the flavor styles that you want to draw from this? And then you have to figure out, okay, how long do you want it to last on the shelf? And what's your nearest competitor with something similar and what that shelf life is? And so we connect them and we also work with a food scientist and a food scientist lab. So, so, they, so there's intersectionality there, and we work very closely because we want them to understand that your food scientist is your best friend in food. 
How do they get the Twinkie to last a nuclear blast has always been my question. Uh, Jack, uh, any questions here on food? You know how passionate I am about food, and you you piggybacked off of a few of my recipes, that uh, smoked salmon that I taught you how to make at, at uh, school, I think, uh, was a success for yours. That's absolutely. Well, I do appreciate you sharing your recipes with me. Um, Janice, with your uh, foundation, I guess, being a non-profit, um, what's the funding um, sources for you? And I understand that you actually came across some new funding and you've got some exciting projects on hand. Can you maybe talk to uh, the audience about that? Yes. So we, the government of Canada um, made an announcement and created the Black Ecosystem Fund. And we are one of the Black Ecosystem Partners among uh, 29 other recipients. And so through the Black Entrepreneurship Program, these funds uh, have been allocated to support all Black entrepreneurs with across various sectors, and we happen to be in the food sector. So this has been a huge achievement and has allowed us to have a unique opportunity to deliver these resources and support to our food entrepreneurs. My friends, we're out of time. Show about money each and every Saturday night. 640 in Toronto, Wolfgang Klein. It's called Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle, my partner. We help people like you build wealth. If you have any questions, please uh, check us out. If you want to join us as a client, well, give us a call. We'll sit down and see how we can help you. That's what we do. Just tuck in little clients each and every month. And, uh, well, the success grows for all of us together. Uh, Janice Bartley, Foodpreneur Lab. If you have any questions, uh, please uh, visit her at foodpreneurlab.com. Janice Bartley, uh, doing some great work. Uh, Black History Month, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, season uh, that, that we have to recognize and, and celebrate. Um, indeed, we do. Uh, I want to wish you all a great weekend. Janice Bartley, thank you very kindly for your time. Jack Hartle, as always, great job setting the show up for us. And my friends... Stay safe. We'll be with you next Saturday right here on 640 in Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.